0: Good morning, Uh, I too want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. And this is part two, as we said, of our Moses series. Uh, Last week, uh, Jarrett Stevens gave us the backstory, kind of what led up to the part we're going to talk about now, which is the beginning of Moses' life. And I think we're going to look at a part of Scripture that's going to be especially applicable to moms and really stretching, I think, for all of us. Uh, I've been a mom for 25 years. Can't believe that, but it's true. And I've learned many, many lessons as a mom, uh, many of them the hard way. And some of those lessons are about Letting go. In fact, I think parenthood is a series of letting go moments. There's that first moment you hand your baby to a babysitter for the first time or maybe up in Soul City Kids to someone that you may not know all that well and that's a a real letting go moment. Or maybe when they go to preschool or kindergarten for the first time and they're walking in a little line in the door and you're thinking, will they make a friend, will they do what the teacher says? It's very scary. Maybe it's the moment they sleep over at another child's house uh, for the first time. Or maybe go to the first swimming lesson or bike riding, and you let go of the bicycle as you teach them how to ride. There's, of course, the first date, the first driving lesson. And for some, uh, the first time that you send them to an away kind of camp. We did that with our 8-year-old, Samantha. We sent her to this fabulous Christian sports camp. The only problem is it's an 11-hour drive down in uh, Branson, Missouri, and it was going to be for 13 nights. Now, we had great hesitation about this, but some experts on the camp and people who also knew our daughter said she will be fine. She's going to have the best 13 days of her life. You're going to love this. So we drove her down there, looked around the camp, and as we were leaving, I had that sinking feeling like, is this really okay? We're not going to hear from her by phone or email or text or anything. The only way we might know how she's doing is if she writes us a letter. So six days later, back in Chicago, we get the first letter. And the first three words were, camp is awesome. And I thought, all right, we did it, success, she's doing great. Well, later, when we brought Samantha home, she told us the real story. She said, You know, I thought I should write those words um, but I was actually very homesick. Some of the nights in bed I would cry myself to sleep in my bunk. You're going to think I'm a terrible mother. And uh, you know, letting go in that case, she may have been too young. I really thought that the letting go moments were going to kind of wind down when we sent them off to college. I mean, that's a big step. But both of them wanted to study for a semester abroad and Samantha chose the country of Ghana in uh, West Africa. So I remember vividly taking her to O'Hare Airport, and she's in the security line, getting ready to walk away from us, and I'm thinking, I know nothing about this country. She doesn't know a soul there. Plus, that Liam Neeson movie had just come out, Taken. (laughs) I'm like, don't let any cute guys offer you a ride from the airport. I was really thinking this is a bad move. And I'm very glad that she didn't turn around and look at my face, because my eyes were filled with tears as she walked away. Three years later, her sister Johanna decides to study in Budapest, Hungary. And I'm thinking, wasn't that a communist country not that long ago? <laughs> this, this letting go stuff is really, really difficult. Well, in the story of Moses' life, his mother had a far more excruciating and dramatic letting go moment. We're going to go back to the book of Exodus where we started last week. And for those of you who want to know where we are in the timeline of history, The last uh, two decades of the 15th century B.C. is the best estimate for when Moses lived. And remember the backstory that we learned together was about how the children of Israel were in slavery to the Egyptians for hundreds of years. They were forced into very harsh labor. And the king and his people were worried that the Israelites were growing more numerous. By the day, they were having babies like rabbits. Scholars say that by the time of the Exodus, there were about 600,000 men So probably about a million people. And uh, they they were very worried that they might have a rebellion, that the Israelites might try to overpower the Egyptians. So let's go to Exodus. If you grab the Bible in front of you, in the seat pocket or under your seat, you're going to go to page 39. This is the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. And we're going to pick up the story in chapter 1, verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him, but if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous, and they give birth before the midwives arrive. These women are very, very clever. They claimed that the babies came out so fast that they couldn't keep up. This was a very crafty way to evade the edict of the king, and God blessed them for it, we're told. But Pharaoh was not to be denied. So look at verse 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Can you imagine the terror in the heart of every mom and dad of Hebrew little boys, of those who were pregnant and didn't know yet if they would have a boy? Let's continue into chapter 2. Now, a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When I first read that, I thought, okay, she has a fine child, so he's handsome and she wants to keep him. What if he was like an ugly baby? But (laughs) Moses, (laughs) Moses, scholars think, had sort of maybe already a luster to his countenance, some kind of radiance, because he was already going to display leadership as an adult. There was something already very special about this child, and his parents were careful to preserve him. As Moses was nursed by his mother, for any of us who have had that experience, I can imagine that over those three months, she just falls more deeply and deeply in love with this child. And they tried to hide him in a private part of the house, but how easy is that with a crying baby? So after a while, they're thinking, he's going to get discovered. We've got to do something else. And God gives them an idea. Look at what the mother of Moses did. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. You know, when I was growing up, I went to something called Sunday school, and we heard about this story, and I thought it was such a sweet story. Little baby Moses in the basket, he's going to take a river ride. What a nice story. Now that I'm a mother, I read this with entirely new lenses. We have to know how desperately Moses' mother would have wanted to pursue any other option. I'm sure she was thinking, maybe we can just hide in better, find another corner of the house, or maybe we can escape this country. But surely not. This wacky idea that God gave me, it seems so risky, Talk about a letting-go moment. Gently, she prepares this basket, and one of our artists, Graham, made this for us. She tries to cover it with tar and pitch so that it would not let water inside. And then she wraps up Moses, swaddles him, I'm guessing, really tightly. She's holding him to her chest, and she gives him that last kiss. And then she places him in this basket, and I imagine she held it for a long, long time before she got the courage to let it go in the River Nile and to walk away. And she asked her daughter, Miriam, who was older, to go watch and see what would happen next. In that moment, the mother of Moses knows the backstory. She knows that the children of Israel have been harshly treated and that they've been enslaved. They have no power. They have no rights. They have no dream of a future. And she knows all too well her current circumstances. The edict of the king that threatens the life of her son. But here is what she does not know. She has no idea about the rest of the story. We know the rest of the story. She doesn't know. When she lets that basket go, she has no idea what God has in mind, no concept of what God the Father has planned. Clearly, Moses could have died of hunger if he was never discovered. He could have drowned if the basket overturned or the waters overflowed it. He could have been devoured by a crocodile. But let's see what actually happened. This is in verse 5. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister, Miriam, asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby to the mother. She says, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. This story is chock full of incredible details that illustrate for you and me the breathtaking goodness of our God and the way he provided for Moses and his family. First, I want to point out that in this early part of Exodus, in this story, all of Pharaoh's efforts to knock down and thwart the children of Israel were defeated by strong women First of all, the midwives, then all the Hebrew mothers, Moses' mother, Miriam, his sister, and Pharaoh's daughter, every single one of them in an era when women had no power and no authority. These women were so very brave. May it continue to be so today. God's timing and his plans were absolutely perfect. If you think about how this was orchestrated He was in the process of preparing a deliverer for his people and that person was gonna be Moses. He was the chosen one. So at just the precisely right time, God guides Pharaoh's daughter down to the Nile to bathe. At the exact perfect moment, he nudges Moses' mother to finally let go of the basket and to send Miriam to keep her eyes peeled. And when the little one cries, Pharaoh's daughter hears him. She's filled with pity for the baby The tradition of the Jews, though this is not stated in scripture, it's quite possibly true, is that Pharaoh's daughter had no child of her own, so that later, when Moses was adopted by her, he could be entrusted with much authority as her son. Pharaoh's daughter dares to go up against her father, the king, and she decides to save this child. And then Miriam, this young girl, has a magical moment. This girl is so smart she offers to find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the child. She, I guess, who she's, who's she going to go ask? So she goes to her mom. Now imagine this moment. Moses' mother has done the release. I'm guessing she's been sobbing for a long time. And Miriam comes running up to her. And she says, Mom, you're needed to nurse the baby. Baby Moses. And the mother can't believe it. She released the child, in the very same day she has him in her loving arms. Not only that, Pharaoh's daughter, not knowing that this is the actual mother, offers to pay her. Moms, how would you like someone to pay you to feed your child? Isn't that great idea? God's rest of the story goes on from there. Eventually, Moses is raised in the courts of Pharaoh, where he receives an excellent education to equip him to one day be the leader and deliverer of the entire nation of Israel. I can't help but think of the verse in Isaiah, and I know this is a favorite verse for many of us. Look at these words. God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. When the mother of Moses let go of her son, she had no idea about the rest of the story. She let go anyway. Nothing in her wildest imagination could have told her what God had thought up. She simply had to release her son into the river of trust. Now, this story begs an obvious question, I think, of you and me, and this is my major question for all of us today. What do you need to let go of? What do you need to let go of? It's time for you and me, I think, to release something into the river of trust even though we don't know the rest of the story. There are as many different answers for what we need to let go of as there are people sitting in this room today. But I want to talk to moms and dads for just a few moments. If you're not a parent, be patient. There may be something helpful here for you as well. But parenting is both a grand adventure and an awesome responsibility. And I don't know a single mom or dad who would say, I know exactly how to do it well. It can be helpful to remind us, I think, of the ultimate goal that we have as we seek to raise children who will flourish, children who will love God, and others who will display strong character and hopefully make a great contribution to the world. In their book, Suddenly They're 13, Dave and Claudia Arp say this, As a parent, your job is to work yourself out of a job and into lifetime relationships. If the ultimate goal of parenting is to prepare children to function independently as adults, then you need to have a release plan. Kids come programmed for independence. Their job is to break away and become autonomous people. Your job, in part, is to let go, to help facilitate the process. It's really a terrible idea, don't you think? I I don't like that at all. But one of our tasks as we release our children is discovering who God uniquely designed them to be. And early on, most parents begin to see that we have actually very little control over what captures the imagination of our child, what makes their eyes shine. You can hope for a football enthusiast, or a little astronomer, or a math genius, or a singer, or even a billionaire to support you in your old age, but your child will tell you over time what he or she was born for. I remember how I started Johanna, our second daughter, with cello lessons. Why? Because I love the cello. But (laughs) she, not so much. She quit after a year. A close friend of mine has two sons. His name is Rory, and he and his wife, Sue, are two of the most remarkable parents I know. Uh, Rory is a skilled musician. He's a composer and an arranger. He's also a terrific softball player. He's a shortstop. But his younger son, Joel, showed absolutely no interest in music or baseball or any sports, really. From the time he was little, Joel wanted to learn how to fish and hunt. His parents had no idea where this came from. This was way out of Rory's comfort zone. But I watched Rory respond to the interests of his son. He found a man in his church who was an expert fisherman. And the three of them would go out on excursions and Rory would tell hilarious stories about learning about the bait and all that kind of stuff. And then Rory took an even more radical step as Joel got older and he took him to a shooting range. And the two of them learned to shoot and eventually Joel got to try hunting. Now Joel is in his late 20s and let me tell you the rest so far of his story. He serves our country as a first lieutenant in the U.S. Army. He's been in the military for about eight years. He's an expert marksman, and he did one tour in Iraq and two in Afghanistan. We do not control our children's gifts. They become who God wired them to become. For my girls, uh, from the time they were toddlers, their play in the basement was mostly about drama. They created all kinds of productions, and they recruited their father to play every male role. Warren was King Triton and the Beast and Aladdin and many, many different kinds of princes. From our two numerous visits to McDonald's and Walmart, the girls began collecting those little figurines that you get in Happy Meals. They called them their pals, and they literally collected hundreds of them. They used old shoeboxes and dollhouses to create an entire village in our basement that they called Flower Hill. Every single resident pal of Flower Hill had a name, a job, a family unit, and a personality. They created schools, and libraries, and shops, and restaurants, and many little houses. Every pal had a bed somewhere, and we're talking hundreds of these. The girls wrote it all down. They knew every name, every family, it was like a census of Flower Hill. (laughs) But they knew each pal's story in their heads. We probably should have let them out of the basement a little bit more. But I want to show you a couple photos of the pals. Um, this is just some of them. Here's a few more. This another one. So with schools and, and places of work and shops and stuff, one day, because I worked at a church, I asked the girls, well, does Flower Hill have a church? And they said, oh, yes, we have a church. And I said, well, who's the pastor of Flower Hill? And they smiled, and they said, well, Mom, actually, when we were assigning all of this, um, we kind of ran out of pals. So the pastor is Jasmine. So here's Jasmine. You can't really see her little midriff thing going on there. But um, actually, you know, it's one way to grow a church, you know, have have Jasmine. I, I I recommended this to Jeannie Stevens. You know, you could have a whole new look. Um, One more thing you might want to see in the church is Buzz Lightyear in the baptismal. (laughs) He's being baptized there. Now, when it came time for our daughters to choose a major in college, my husband and I knew what the practical thing would be for them, especially as young women in this economy. It would be to go for engineering or math or technology. But alas, that is not to be. They are both theater majors. They're pursuing work in that field. And I know they were born to tell stories. That is who they are. And I can't wait to see the rest of their story. They love each other so much, they're both getting an apartment together, the younger one's graduating in two weeks from college. They're going to move to Chicago, get an apartment, probably audition for the same parts. That'll go great. Um, And I won't be surprised at all if these pals are involved somehow in their future. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says this, Start children off in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. That phrase, in the way, is translated from words that more literally say, according to his way. Children have a way about them. It's instilled in them from a loving Heavenly Father. And our job is simply to help them discover their way. Of course, that also includes our efforts to guide them to know the love of Jesus, to cooperate with him and make choices so he can transform them over time. But even there, we don't have complete control and some of you moms of older kids know this. We can create the environments, we can love them unconditionally and model the character of Christ as best we can, but ultimately, children have a will and they have a mind of their own and they will make choices along the way. Our hope and our prayer is that they will choose to follow Christ, but part of letting go is knowing that we can't force anything. We keep on loving, we keep on praying, and we trust our faithful God for the rest of the story. So my question for all of us today is what do you need to release in the river of trust? What do you need to let go of? And in the next few moments, I'm going to give you some possibilities. And I'm going to ask you to listen to the whisper of the Spirit. That's how he works. There's going to be one of these that you latch onto, and you say, yeah, that's, that's me. That's what I need to let go of. Maybe for you, it's control. Control of your children, uh, control of your picture of the perfect family, or just control of your life in general, of your schedule, of your relationships, of your dating, whatever it might be. Maybe control is what you need to release. It could be, for many of us here, perfectionism. Trying to reach a standard that's impossible to reach and giving yourself grace just letting go of that and by the way this letting go thing is a daily deal (laughs) it's not like you're going to do this one time and be done with it whatever your issue is maybe for you you need to let go of your sense of fear and anxiety for your kids or for yourself for protection you may be very concerned and anxious and weighed down with worry and God says will you release that to me Will you trust me with that? Maybe it's guilt for you. I don't know a single mom or dad who doesn't have some regrets. We look back and we say, I wish I would have done that differently. I wish I would have said that differently or not said that at all. I wish I would have been more patient. But we need to let go of that guilt and trust God that he is a forgiving God and that he will forgive us and allow us to be renewed and to move forward with freedom and with joy. For me, one of the things i got to put in this basket today is comparison and envy. And you know, Facebook and Instagram are not our friend on this front, because you look at other people's lives and you think, oh wow, they're doing it so much better. They're doing it so much more skillfully than me. Well, nobody puts their worst moments on Facebook and Instagram. Wake up everybody, you know, and we need to just let go of this comparison thing. I need to know, and if you're a mom or dad, you need to know that you are precisely the right person to parent your children, and you won't do it like everybody else, but they need what you have, and you have enough for them. And finally, for many of us, I think what we need to put in here are our plans and our dreams. We have ideas of what we think the rest of our story should look like, but we need to release them. Maybe. You're single and you're longing for a partner and you need to release in the river of trust and say, God, you know that's the longing of my heart, but I'm going to let go of it and trust you. Maybe for you, it's the longing to have children. And so far, either biologically or by adoption, that hasn't happened yet. And every day, I know your heart breaks and you need to let it go. Maybe for you, it has to do with your profession thought you'd be in a different place than you are by now, in a different kind of job or role. You need to let go and trust God. Put it in the river of trust. I think the big question for all of us is, will you trust God with the rest of your story? Will you? Will you believe that the part you cannot see right now, just like Moses's mother, she could not possibly have imagined what God would do can you trust that he has a rest of the story for you? We have no concept what God is up to. He simply says, trust me, ruthlessly trust me. Trust me when it makes absolutely no sense. Trust me when you give, I give you an idea that seems very wacky. Don't be like the children of Israel who keep forgetting about my faithfulness. I am the God who can be trusted My ways are higher than your ways, and you have no idea what the rest of your story could look like. I want to give you a moment of just quiet, because the rest of this day is going to be filled with noise and hopefully celebration and fun. But for just a moment, you might even want to put your palms of your hands open in your lap and pause and in a quiet moment say, God, here's what I'm letting go of. Here's what I know I need to release. Help me do that today. Help me trust you, God, for the rest of my story. So Let's just pause for a moment of quiet. Gracious Heavenly Father, the one who watches over us, our magnificent creator, and the one who longs to lead our lives, we let go today. Father, we let go of that which we've been clinging tightly to, our dreams, our hopes, our fears, some of us, our guilt, our comparisons, our perfectionism. God, we let them go and we're gonna to choose to ruthlessly trust you for the rest of our story. Thank you. Thank you for your breathtaking goodness. Thank you for your provision. Thank you that you are a faithful God. May we lean into trust today. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Would you please stand to your feet? I was here last uh, Sunday and I heard a song that we closed the gathering with last Sunday and I asked Patrick and Sarah if we could sing it again today because this song is all about letting go of our fears and choosing to trust. Trusting that our heavenly parent is perfect. You know, none of our earthly parents were perfect and none of us are parenting with perfection. But we have a heavenly parent who fathers and mothers us perfectly, perfectly, who loves us unconditionally and who provides for us and guides us, if only we will listen. We are His children today and that's what we're going to celebrate as we close this service. Whatever the rest of Mother's Day holds for you, good parts and maybe some hard parts, the raw truth is you are a child of God and that is who you are. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God and He treasures you He loves you with an everlasting love. So let's sing to him today and release our trust to him.